a situation in which uh, aversion came up for you. Hatred. Hatred of a situation, hatred of a person. And see if you can feel a somatic experience of that. What I mean by that is a visceral um, body feeling of what it was like to hate. And maybe there's some situation in your life right now that you're feeling hatred towards or aversion towards. What does it feel like in your body to really have that feeling of, I don't like this, I don't want it, I want it to go away, I want it to disappear? whether it's a person or a situation. And as you're remembering that situation, remember what it was like if you followed through with that hatred and see what happened as a result. See what the disadvantage was in actually not just having the feeling and knowing it, but following through with it, either with harsh words or with some action. What was it like and what happened? And now, if you've done that, now see if you can recall a, a situation in which, instead of following through with your aversion, you actually um, cultivated patience or kindness, either one or both. And perhaps you can see the relationship between patience and a kind heart. And how did that work out for you? So this is just a small sample, just a small taste of doing the work of understanding the disadvantages of hatred and the advantages in attaining and exhibiting patience. Now the loving-kindness practice itself is a practice of training the heart. And like all trainings, it starts with very simple steps. And then as it 
as you practice it and you get the muscle for it and, and the muscles become stronger, new arisings will happen, new uh, developments in your heart and mind and body will happen and you'll be able to work with it. But in the beginning, what's recommended is a practice in which we start by well wish, with well-wishing for ourselves and we go through a progression of beings that it's theoretically more and more difficult to give loving-kindness to, to give these wishes to. And so in the short period of meditation that we have tonight, I will take you through those categories of people and I will give you, an, uh, I'll give you the classic wishes from the texts and what I recommend is that you stay with four wishes and that you, you formulate them however it feels good for you to formulate them, however it feels comfortable for you to formulate them, but you stay with just those four wishes in your own formulation or in the classic formulation because it's the repeating of the phrases that becomes a concentration practice. And the phrases themselves, the wishes themselves, are the cultivation of the heart of kindness, the heart of patience. So the classical progression is from uh, oneself through a ben to a benefactor, someone who has been really good to you in your life, who's loved you unconditionally, perhaps a mentor or a teacher, or um, it can be even a, a small child. The texts say it's a, someone who brings a smile to your face. And then a friend, and then what we call a neutral person, which is someone that you have no strong feelings for, either for or against. Someone who you may have seen often in your life and have just overlooked. And then a difficult person, and then all beings. And I will take you through those categories so you don't have to memorize them, don't worry. And there are four wishes, four classical wishes, which are the wishes for safety. May you be safe and protected from harm. A wish for uh, mental happiness, which can be either may you have mental happiness or may you be happy and peaceful. The third is physical happiness, which can be either may you be physically happy or may you be healthy. And the fourth is may you be at ease, which means may, you, may the struggles of your life disappear, may you not have struggle, may you be able to meet life with some measure of ease. So I'll take you through. So you start with yourself. And what you can do is focus on the heart center, which is on the left side of your chest. And just notice what it feels like to have a beating heart. And then allow an image of yourself to arise in the mind, in the heart. 
And it can be an image of yourself as you are now, or as you were as a small child, or when you thought of yourself as the most lovable time in your life. Or it can simply be the felt sense of your body and mind and heart sitting here in this room. However, it works for you to really have a, a dynamic sense of yourself. And send yourself these wishes. May I be safe from harm. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be healthy of body. And may I live with ease. May I have mental happiness. May I be safe from harm. May I have physical happiness. And may I live with ease, free from struggle. Just as in the mindfulness or Vipassana meditation, if the mind is pulled away from from repeating the phrases and you can do it with a a cadence that's easy, you're not rushing through it, nor are you being too slow about it, it's just find a really comfortable rhythm for yourself. And as in the Vipassana meditation, when you find that the mind has wandered away from saying the phrases, just bring it gently back. And if you have to do that a thousand times, it's fine. May I be safe, happy and peaceful, healthy of body, and live with ease. You're not trying to produce any particular kind of feeling. Even if it feels mechanical, it's okay.
and then turning to the benefactor. Or if you'd like, you can stay with yourself. You're choosing someone that brings a smile to your face. who has loved you unconditionally or as near to unconditionally as is possible. And do the same with them, either a, an image of them or just a felt sense of their presence. But make it as, um, as clear an image, whether it's the image or the felt sense, make it as clear as possible so that you have a real sense of the presence of that person here in your heart and send them your wishes of safety, mental happiness, physical happiness, and ease.
now a dear friend. Bring them into your heart. Just one dear friend. When you've gotten a really clear picture or a clear felt sense of them, send them your wishes of goodwill and friendliness, their safety, their happiness, their mental happiness, their physical happiness, and their ease.
than a neutral person, someone that you don't have strong feelings about one way or another. Maybe a dry cleaner or a grocer or someone who serves you coffee or a co-worker or someone here that you've seen and just hasn't registered. See if you can bring a relatively clear picture of that person into your heart. Wishing them the same safety, happiness, health, and ease as you do, as you have for yourself and your friend and your benefactor. Now someone who's difficult in your life, and it's recommended that if you've just started a practice of metta or loving kindness, that you not choose the most difficult person ever, 
but someone who may be mildly annoying or just agitates you so that we build, learn how to build the muscle of having goodwill to all beings. We start with what's easiest for us and progress along the path. So choose someone that's mildly annoying, makes us feel somewhat agitated. Or someone who's difficult, if you, you feel you have that muscle already. May you be safe from harm. May you have mental happiness. May you have physical happiness. May you live with ease.
when we expand our loving kindness to all beings, and we can start with the beings in this room. May each and every one of you be safe from harm. May each and every one of you have mental happiness, be happy and peaceful. May each and every one of you have physical happiness, be healthy and strong of body. May you live with ease, free from struggle. And as you are sending out these wishes, recognize that wishes are coming to you and see if you can notice how that feels. And then radiating out from this room, out and through the building, everyone on the street, throughout the community, out into the city, in all directions, to the north, to the northeast, to the east, to the southeast, to the south, to the southwest, to the west and to the northwest. Including all beings, omitting none, all beings everywhere without exception, above and below, all beings, beings of all genders, short, medium or tall, the powerful and the oppressed. The happy and the sad and the in-between, all beings everywhere. May all beings be safe from harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and strong and live with ease. All beings flying in the air, swimming in the seas, crawling on the earth. Young and old, all beings.
Now let your heart be silent. And simply feel what it feels like to be in the midst of this kindness in your own heart and in the heart of all of the beings in this room, seen and unseen. So, um, sometimes we do walking meditation after a sitting meditation, but we have a rather large group. So, if you have questions, I'm very happy to hear them. Yes, please. So last summer, I was out of the Lioness, and um, that is my um, usual practice. Um, but at retreat, uh, I did not have any periods where we were actually doing it, but otherwise I was just doing basic vipassana and uh, following my breath. Um, and what I noticed was, in my normal practice when I'm doing my breath, um, just a moment, Kathy. Are we recording? So we need to have the microphone for people. Yeah, 
in my usual practice when I would be doing metta, um, aversive emotions would arise, but there seemed to be this indomitable presence of metta to sort of um, wrap around them or, or to be, they could blend into the background of metta and it sort of, it sort of fade into that background. Um, but when I was doing, just following my breath at the retreat, a lot of aversive emotions came up, a lot of frustration, anger, um, impatience, and also just really bad songs playing in my head. <laughs> you know, a, lot of, a lot of that. And um, those um, emotions didn't fade as easily as they do during metta. And so my question is, um, can we sort of misuse metta as a way to sort of quell aversive emotions um, rather than experiencing them to the extent that I did for days on end of that retreat? What do you think? Well, my experience at the retreat was that um, Maybe these uh, emotions are trying to have their full-blown say, and um, mm -hmm. and um, maybe I was using that to, you know as a way to sort of soothe them and um, not let them get out of control or have too much or more say than I would like them to have. And mm -hmm. um, so, do you think that um, I get the feeling from your question that there's like a um, a value judgment in which that, that there may be one that's right and one that's not right or that there that one may be better than the other that it may be better to have like the full-blown experience of aversive feelings rather than um, the the work of transforming those aversive feelings into feelings of love or kindness or patience Right. It's, it seems to me that sometimes um, metta can be calm-inducing, um, whereas the practice that I was doing wasn't necessarily calm-inducing. It was, it was letting these um, emotions have their full roar. And um, I always kind of had the impression that we weren't s supposed to um, try to try to calm those emotions um, in as much as we were supposed to let them be present. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I ran into that, that issue. Mm -hmm. So yes and no. <laughs> there's, um, there's a kind of prejudice sometimes, or, or sometimes when we hear the instructions for Vipassana meditation, we can have a kind of um, warrior spirit that thinks that I have to be with this difficult thing for, you know, for as long as it's difficult and I have to kind of you know, you know, tough it out and be with this emotion and somehow when I'm with this emotion that's a kind of better idea than if the emotion arises and it's met with some kindness and it dissolves. So there's a place for both, right? And, and it's not as if we can make a rule 
about when it may be appropriate to do one or the other. Because so much of life is textural. Right? So, so it's, it's not like we can, from afar, from a distance, say, okay, you know, you should be with this difficult emotion for exactly five hours. Right? And then, if that doesn't work, then try some metta. Right? Rather, it's a kind of um, dance with life. So there are times when the Vipassana practice or the mindfulness practice can be very helpful. And there are times when, if we take it to an extreme, it can be detrimental. So when difficult emotions arise, the first, the first practice that we have is to be actually with that difficult emotion, to know, oh, this is sadness, this is anger, this is hatred, this is aversion, this is attachment, this is um, uh, uh, restlessness, this is doubt. Whatever the difficult emotion is, the first, the first thing we do is we understand, oh, this is what's arrived. And then what we have is a set of um, tools that the practice offers us. And the first tool is to actually go through the four foundations of mindfulness with whatever has arisen. So we understand how it is in the body. So what's anger like in the body? So if we turn to it, we know there may be um, some uh, tightness in the stomach, there may be throbbing in the head, there may be heat in the hands and the feet, whatever, however else it manifests for you. And then we also understand that there is a set of ideas or a set of thoughts that come with that anger or difficult emotion. Right? So usually what you'll notice is, especially if it's anger, that there's a kind of loop that we get into where we're describing to ourselves exactly what it is that made us angry, right? And it's, we're not kind of content to just do it once, but we have to talk about it a million times, even if it's a silent thing in the head. You know, she said this, and she shouldn't have said it, and if I just, I wish I'd said, and they should have, and the, you know, so there's, so there's a mental component to it. And then there's an emotional component to it. It may be sad, sadness, it may be fear, it may be um, uh, um, aversion. It, it can be all kinds of things that are under that anger. And then there is, um, then there are ways that it manifests both in the mind and in the, and in the body other than those immediate feelings, there may be uh, some um, uh, self-conversation, there may be uh, instincts or impulses to go out and act on it. So we can look at the full-blown manifestation of whatever that um, negative emotion or difficult emotion is in all of the aspects, in, in the three centers, the body, the mind, and the heart. And that can become quite exhausting. Right. So at some point, it may not be useful anymore to just be with it, as we say. 
but to actually have some other skills, some other ways of meeting whatever it is that's arising. So the metta practice affords us those tools that says, okay, I can actually be kind. I can be kind towards myself rather than judgmental and self-blaming and self-critical. And You know, I've been practicing for 15 years now, this shouldn't be coming up, right? But instead, we can, we can transform that kind of uh, reception and instead meet it with a heart of kindness. Because the, you know, the, the, the way to peace is peace itself. Right? So we, we don't want to be um, meeting those kinds of emotions, an, an emotion of aversion with aversion. We want to meet that emotion of aversion with love. And so much of the time, the way we get strength is not so much dwelling on what's difficult, but actually finding in the midst of that difficulty what else may be happening. Because most of the time, when we're having a negative emotion, or we're having pain in the body, or we're having some kind of difficult experience, it's not the complete experience that we're having. So if we have a headache, right, a difficult physical sensation, we tend, the attention tends to go to it. And we forget that there's a whole other part of, you know, that there's a whole other body here, the hands, the feet, the belly, the, the throat, the eyes, and they're fine. But somehow the mind loves to hang on to what's difficult. So we have that as a, as a way also of resourcing ourselves by then settling into what's not difficult. So we can either be attentive to what's difficult, we can transform our feeling, our relationship towards what's difficult, we can, um, we can um, do the meta practice with regard to what's difficult, or we can find what in our experience right now in this moment is, all, is not difficult. In, and it's not that we're suppressing or avoiding or denying what's difficult, but that we're actually seeing, oh, the complete experience is not just difficulty, and get resourced from that. So at, in any moment, you know, those are just some of the tools that meditation offers you. And your wisdom will tell you what is appropriate in that moment. If you're feeling really exhausted, that's not the time to be doing mindfulness meditation. That's the time to be resourcing the mind and the heart and to be doing uh, metta practice. But if you're feeling energetic and you're feeling strong and you're feeling, oh, I'm capable of this, I can do this, then the, then the mindfulness practice is perfectly appropriate. Right? So, so what, what you're offered is a whole variety of tools, of ways of working. So, so that's in a meditative context. If it's in the middle of life, you also have a set of tools. So your boss is yelling at you, right? And you're feeling really aversive, and you're feeling like, you know, you know what you're feeling like in that moment. You can feel your feet. Your feet are probably perfectly fine right in that moment. 
but there's a story that's happening in the head about how they shouldn't talk to you that way and they shouldn't be so disrespectful and I hate this job anyway and I should have I shouldn't have taken it but you know whatever the stories are and all of the tightness and or the fear of I'm going to be fired or whatever the emotions are and there's also a lot going on in the body right then into which you can relax and get some kind of resource and so that when so that when you come to respond you're not responding from a place of aversion but you're responding from a place of kindness because you've you've been able to give yourself some resources whether it's just the mindfulness of what's happening in the whole body or having sent your boss as he's yelling at you or she's yelling at you as you're saying may you be happy may you be peaceful may you be at ease may you be healthy so that you're coming once you open your mouth <laughs> you know what's coming out is not the aversion itself even though you know oh the initial response was aversion the initial response was anger the initial response was fear you've done the the internal work so that by the time you respond there's a presence and there's a kindness so that you can say what you have to say it's not that you get weak and passive and you don't respond you respond but you res- you're responding at it from a place of kindness rather than from a place of aversion so it's both you're welcome Simple question. Um, in the category of hate, can we, uh, or not hate, but in the fourth part, can we focus on... Could you hold the microphone a little closer? Does it make a difference if we focus on an animal instead of a human that's causing us difficulty? A, a difficult animal rather than a difficult person? Right. That's this. Why not? Great. <laughs> the second question is... Is it possible to transcend the emotion of hate? Is it possible to transcend the emotion of hatred? Mm. So first of all, I, I like the question, the first question about whether you can use an animal rather than a person. And the reason that I like the question is because when we learn meta-meditation, we can be mistaken about what the meta-meditation is, right? And that question really kind of pinpoints it. We tend to think that like affirmations or something like that, you know, that it's a kind of new-agey kind of thing that we're doing because we're, you know, we're kind of being Pollyanna and wishing everybody well, aren't we good, you know? But that's not what it is. It's, it's a really fierce practice. Because what it is, is a training of the heart to have goodwill towards every being equally. Metta in Pali is sometimes the word that's used for the sun. And the, the, um, the similarity is that the sun shines on all beings without discrimination, equally. <laughs> And so the practice is not about making your friend happy 
or you know, doing metas, and at some point you meet your friend after you've been sending them meta for a week or two or six months, and they come and you meet them and they say, "God, life has been really tough and it sucks and I can't stand it." And you say, "Well, what's wrong with this? I've been sending you meta for six months. Why aren't you better, right? You know, why isn't your life like really together?" Because we have a misunderstanding that we're somehow affecting the outside world. When in, fa when in fact, metta is really a direction inward that our relationship to the world is going to change. That our relationship to the world is not going to be filled with hatred or aversion, but in fact is going to have a warm friendliness. And so, so when we choose this objects, meaning you know, the people to whom we send or the, or the beings to whom we send metta, they really are like, um, they're like a, 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 a template, right? So the being that you choose other than your, well, even yourself, is really, you're really a template for all beings, right? And the, the friend that you choose is a template for those experiences to which you already have a kind of friendly feeling, as well as all of the beings to whom you have a friendly feeling. And the, the benefactor, the same thing, and, and the difficult person. So all of these people that you choose are really templates for your own heart, right? So that your heart is, is, is what is being addressed. The beings are just a way in to your heart. So, so the, the second question about whether or not you can transcend feelings of aversion, I think uh, if, you, if you look at history and you look at people who have been incredibly deeply oppressed, such as Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, people like that who have lived through tremendously oppressive regimes and situations, and yet have been able to come through them with, with real, with genuine, sincere goodwill. Nelson Mandela, at his inauguration, had the, the man who was his main guard in the uh, prison at Robben Island, which, was, which, which he was imprisoned on for 18 years. That's who he had in the front middle seat at his inauguration. Martin Luther King, throughout the entire civil rights movement, preached love and forgiveness. Gandhi never deviated from love and forgiveness. And these were all beings who were living through incredibly um, cruel, inhuman treatment. So I point you to them. They, they, were, they didn't start out, not one of them started out saying, I'm going to be the leader of a great movement. Aung San Suu Kyi, the same thing when she was asked, the, the woman who was um, imprisoned by the junta in Burma, when she was asked, what would you say to the generals 
if they came to speak to you? She said, I would ask, would you like a cup of coffee? And she said, what if they, and somebody said, well, what if they said no? Well, then what would you do? She said, then I'd say, would you prefer tea? Right? Now, these are people who'd imprisoned her, for, had her under house arrest for, uh, I think it's 19 years. Right? So none of these people started out as, I'm going to be a great leader. They were just human beings who saw injustice, who saw oppression, and said, I can't stand for it. I, I must do something. Right? And, and nobody would have blamed them <clears throat> if they had led with hatred. You know, human beings being who we are, we would have understood. Right? But what did Gandhi say? He said, um, an eye for an eye eventually will make the whole world blind. So if they can do it, the Buddha could get free. He was a human being. 